Hey everybody, welcome to our Monday podcast. My name is Rob Rodriguez and with me as always is Katie Stover from our marketing department. And we're finishing up our Idols of the Heart series. And so today we're gonna talk about cultural idolatry. And basically when we try to put our culture and try to mix that in the gospel and how it gets diluted. So we're gonna talk about that from uh, Numbers chapter 25. But first let's go over some stuff that's happening at Keswick. Katie, what's going on? So Saturday, March 27th at 7 p.m. we're gonna have our Easter program called yes. One Day and it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a drama, there's gonna be congregational worship and special music, and yeah, it's gonna be really cool. It's awesome. 10 bucks, and you can call 1-800-453-7942 to purchase your tickets. Awesome, that's great. Yeah. Everything that they do here at Keswick is top notch, especially these programs. Yeah. I miss the, the Christmas pro program that we usually have, oh, so hopefully Kata, soon, yeah. yeah, hopefully soon we'll have stuff like that going on again, but this is one of those events that if you can come, you should come to it. Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna look at number 25 today, and we're gonna get into what it means to overcome cultural idolatry. So what is cultural idolatry? What's subtle idolatry? And how does it mess up our foundations of doctrine? What happens is when we become infatuated with what the world thinks of us, it causes us to commit something called cultural idolatry. And what that is, is that we neglect the fundamental doctrines of a biblical faith. And so we have to remember that God's truth always should supersede cultural truth. And that's something that we have to learn, especially in a society where a lot of us are people pleasers. And that's one of the issues that I, that I deal with personally is being a people pleaser. I, I can't stand it when someone doesn't like me. And the problem is, if I'm not careful with that, I will change, I will, I will allow my character defects to take over in order to make someone like me. And so think about that when it comes to doctrine, when we basically allow what people think of us to supersede the truth of God's word. So there's an analogy about um, boiling a frog, and I know it's kind of gross, but it's a really good analogy. Or you could throw, you could put a lobster in there as well. You don't throw a, a, a frog directly into a vat of boiling water. What you do is you throw a frog into a, a room temperature a vat of water, and then you gradually turn the temperature up. And allowing uh, this to happen allows the frog to get comfortable to the point he doesn't realize that he's being boiled. And later, science discovered that it wasn't the case, that they did know, and they were, they were like actually being tortured and killed. And the issue is, when you come to our Christian faith, we do the same thing. We just slowly, slowly allow the world to change, and we're getting boiled without ever noticing. But looking back, we know. We know. We know we allowed it to happen, but we continue to allow uh, all of these things to affect us when we really should be looking at God's word for the answers to everything. And so Numbers 25 that we're gonna look at today gives us a perfect example of how this happens. And Numbers 25 um, takes place shortly after Israel's big conquest of the Canaan land preceded by them crossing over into the Jordan. And so at this point, they were wandering the desert for 40 years and it was all because they had this lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. And so they were in a state of punishment, but God in his goodness and his mercy, he still supernaturally provided for them throughout these 40 years. And so um, he gave them victories and, and many battles and they, uh, 
experienced victories over groups like the Amorites, but as a result, you had the Moabites and the Midianites who were afraid. And so Balak, who was the king of Moab, he called uh, for a worldly prophet whose name was Balaam and hired him to curse Israel. But God made Balaam unable to curse Israel and forced him instead to bless Israel. And so this, of course, infuriated the king. And so Balaam realized that there's no curse that could come upon Israel without the providential hand of God getting in the way. But he did know that God was a holy God and this affected how his people lived. And so he devised this scheme to get to God's people and to make God angry with his people. And so um, he sent the women of Moab to win the hearts of the men of Israel. And so oftentimes when this occurs, the temptation uh, just like us, it happened to the children of Israel. They were led and they forgot the goodness of God. They were led into this temptation and they started to forsake all the things that were pertaining to godliness. So think about the transition before we even get into the verses. You have this victory. You have God giving mercy and grace in the middle of him chastening us. And then instead of remembering the goodness of God, there are these things that play on the outside that are trying to tempt us to do what's wrong. And it wasn't that they began to worship a false god. They fell in love with women who did. And so there's this progression. So let's read Numbers 25 so we can pick up the story. While Israel was staying in the Asia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to sac to the sacrifices for their gods, and the people ate and bowed and worshipped to their gods. So Israel aligned itself with ba Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, Kill each of the men who aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. And an Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly, took a spear in his hand, followed the Israelite man into a tent, and drove it through the Israelite man and the woman through her belly. Then the plague of the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord spoke to Moses Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was a zealous man among them with my zeal. So I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore declare, I grant him my covenant of peace. It will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the Israelites. The name of the slain Israelite man who, struck, who was struck dead with the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Selu, leader of the Simeonite family. The name of the slain Midianite woman was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, the tribal head of Midian. And so you look at the progression. God was angry with them. They continued. The Bible says that they prostituted themselves and they started following after other gods. And so Moses was told, uh, so Moses told the Israelite judges to, to kill all of the people who were following. And in the middle of all this, this Israelite guy just says, hey, you know what? I'm going to show her to my parents anyway. I love her. And Phineas, in, in a zealous rage, takes this guy out and takes the woman out. Think about the progression. We're at the point now, it didn't matter what Moses said. It didn't matter what 
Israel's judges said, this man just stood up and was like, no, I'm going to show this woman to my to my, my parents because I love her. And Phineas was like, no, this has to stop. And God's wrath was, was ended because of that. You know, in, in Revelation chapter 2, John talks to the church at Pergium and he likes them likens them to this doctrine of, of Balaam. And you know, where did this come from? What is this connection in Revelation 2 to a church? The problem with the church at Pergium, you would read, it wasn't so much that they were denying God's name or even denying the Christian faith, is that it was subtler than that. They become comfortable with doctrinal error. They become comfortable with wedding themselves to the compromises of the world. And that's what we talk about when we talk about this cultural idolatry, is that we try to find a way to please the world so that they like us, but at the same time, also enjoy the, the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus. Israel had become so calloused and comfortable with Zimri, who the Bible says at the end of that chapter, at the end of that, that passage of scripture, was a leader in the tribe of Simeon. He takes a Midianite woman whose name was Cosby, and he takes her right into the tent, right by the door of the tabernacle, not only to, to show his parents and his family, but also to commit an immoral act. And so God wasn't pleased with this. This subtle change of them trying to appropriate the world and also appropriate God led one of their leaders to think that he was better or good enough to just downplay what he was doing and that God wouldn't judge him for it. And so this subtle change made Israel a idol-worshiping nation like everybody else, and it affected their worship. It affected what they gave worth to. And it wasn't like they were bringing the God of Molech into the church building. No, no, no. It was all about love affairs and having relationships with people, which then, drew, which then drew them away from God. So in our quest to be not like a church like Pergium, where they allowed false doctrine in and they were comfortable with the compromises of the world, what do we do when it comes to things that we want to still be a part of our life, but also be a part of our Christian faith? So whether we're talking things that are inside the church house or things that are inside of our life, are we compromising in order to try to have the best of both worlds? Hey, Marie Antoinette was right. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The Bible puts it this way. You can't serve God and you can't serve this world system. You can't marry the two. It is impossible to do that. All right, so we just looked at Numbers 25 and we talked about cultural idolatry. And the fact of the matter is sometimes we don't know how to decipher between reaching our culture and reaching them with the gospel. And sometimes mm -hmm. the gospel gets diluted because of our love for our culture. So we have to talk about that for a little bit. So Katie has some questions for us. So how can we love culture and the people in it while not losing hold of the truth? I think the balance happens when there is no balance because you're supposed to love the gospel. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's what you're supposed to love. When you love the gospel, then all your love for other things comes out of that being the, the spoke of the wheel. If you try to say, well, I want to love Jesus and love my culture, just like people say, I love Jesus and my American freedom, it doesn't work that way. Because the Bible says either you're going to love God or you're going to love this world system. You don't get to do both. Jesus said in order to love him, it has to look like you hate your father and your mother. Mm -hmm. That's how much your love for Jesus has to be. So the way for us to love our culture is to love Jesus first. So then the word of God and the spirit of God can show us what we are allowed to love about our culture. Because not everything in a culture is bad just because 
it's part of the world, God created the world, right? So God created cultures. And so a lot of those things are, are great for us, but we have to have it through the microscope of the word of God. And so if our love for God and our love for Jesus is central, then everything should come that way. So what are some indicators that doctrine is being replaced for cultural appropriation? So I think first, it doesn't start out looking bad. It starts out basically that we want to be um, they won't, we won't use the word tolerant first. We'll use words like we're trying to find common ground, right? Or we'll use words like partnership. And then the next thing you notice is that we're trying to find things that are okay with what they do or worse, not as bad as we think it is. And then all of a sudden, as we're augmenting our thoughts about that, we're diminishing what the word of God says. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, if our culture says that, let's say premarital sex isn't as bad as people say it is, which is what we do say in our culture, right? It's not that big of a deal. The dilution of what the word of God says about fidelity, about uh, maturity, about purity, just goes down and that starts to go up. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that we deal with all the time, especially here at Keswick, is the idea of drinking and social drinking, right? And as a society, we're seeing more and more young people, especially people of the faith, getting involved more and more with social drinking. So we're not gonna have a debate about that, but the problem is as that gets higher, what then happens is the verses that say, woe to the person who gives his neighbor drink. Well, you know, the, the fact that, you know, a, a pastor shouldn't be given to, to wine at all. Uh, deacons are not supposed to be given to much wine. All that stuff gets diminished because now we're doing that. And so what happens is all you see that there's now this change between things being thus saith the Lord and a choice between this and that. And then we try to marry those two things together. And that's where cultural appropriation takes over from doctrine. So how can we reach our culture with the gospel? So again, if the gospel is central, then the love for Jesus and the love for people because of the love for Jesus will be there. So we reach our culture by number one, we do know our culture because we're a part of it. But then we have to ask, ask God and, and search his word and look for the spirit's guidance to figure out, okay, so where is, if there is any common ground, is it a common ground that we can show them what the Word of God says, or is it a common ground that we're creating? Because that's where a lot of it happens. We come up with these, with these false notions of what common ground is, and usually we'll do that by having some like uh, cute analogy during a service, or we try to you know, uh, you know, say something that, that we try to make relevant or woke, and we find out that no, we just try to put things together in order to fashion things that shouldn't be fastened together. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going by what the word of God says, and we're going by the fact that God loves all people from every, every tribe, every race, every tongue, that's where the love will come from. So we can reach our culture by understanding how God loves people, so should we. In what ways can culture become an idol? Oof, man, 2020 showed us that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our culture is sometimes valued by our experience, but sometimes it's valued by who we listen to. Mm -hmm. And if we have had a bad experience with another culture, sometimes that will cause us to diminish them as well. And so what happens is we have this idea that if we can have our faith and have our fun and keep all the things that we used to do, but still love Jesus, then that's the ideal. And that is such a bad ideal to have, mm -hmm. right? We're not supposed to be like Frank Sinatra. We're not supposed to do it our way. That's not the way it's mm -hmm. supposed to be. People who live their lives their way 
they really stink at their life, mm -hmm. right? So if we're looking at our culture and we're saying, man, this, this stuff about our culture is just phenomenal and I wanna keep that, but I also wanna serve Jesus, you're looking at it the wrong way. You love Jesus and then you look at your culture. Mm -hmm. Because remember, what are we? We're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are now new. So that includes our culture, right? So it doesn't have to mean that we completely erase our history before we were saved or where we came from or where our parents come from or where society is, or whatever it is. We have to realize that everything, like we said, has to be under the microscope of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's the end of Idols of the Heart. Uh, we'll let you know soon what the next podcast is. We are excited about these Monday afternoon podcasts, and we're very thankful that you tuned in. Make sure to like the Keswick page. Make sure to share this podcast and comment in the thread if you have any questions. We'd love to share with you. God bless you.